You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Gonic Literature, and tonight is the ninth of Tavis. Uh, it's very appropriate that we, our subject matter today, because we're actually going to talk about the secret of the ninth of Tavis. I say secret because from one of the works of the Gaonic, the Bahag, there swirled a, 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 a problem. The problem was the Bahag mentions the ninth of Tavis as a significant day, a day to fast. This day is a day of fasting. This night that we're in tomorrow, the ninth of Tavis is a fast day. And he says that the reason is the rabbis did not say why it was. Hmm. Now, why is the Baha'i even writing this? Um, well, you could say because he is a compendium of the laws that come out of the Talmud. Well, this is not in the Talmud anywhere. In fact, as we've spoken about before, the work of the Bahag, it's very difficult to know how and when it was developed and what parts of it are original, what parts were added, and who the author is. Is it Rav Shimon Kira? Is it Rav Yudoygon? I'm not going to get into that question, but I am going to talk about the significance of the statement and is it perhaps indicative of something even earlier? And is there some idea here that for some reason could not be given over in a normal Elu Yomin Shemisanin Behen Minhatora? Hmm. These are days that one must fast. And the Torah decides you should fast. Now we know there's only one fast day in the Torah, which is Yom Kippur. It's already troubling. The Baha goes on to list either t- from 23, 24, some, uh, in, in some versions, it's, it goes up to 26 different days that one should fast. Uh, is the Baha uh, the earliest source for this idea? This also is, is, is a matter of debate. But since this is a Gaonim Shir, let's start with the Gaon that we know that comes from the period of the Gaon and the Bahag. So he says that these are days that we must fast. But then he says an interesting term, whoever is fasting during these days shouldn't eat or drink until the evening. So again, if you want to be exact and analyze, and, and analyze properly, on one hand, he's telling you, Everyone should fast. And then he says, whoever does fast, he shouldn't break his fast until the evening itself, not late in the afternoon, till it's actually night. There's already an indicator that perhaps, hmm, maybe it's not exactly from the Torah that's binding. Um, And then he goes on to list a number of fast days. One of them should be, and the first one is the first day of Nisan, which we know, of course, based on our tradition, is Yom HaShemini, when Nodavahaviyu die. Okay. But it's also Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And he's saying you should be fasting, Rosh Chodesh Nisan. That's not the only Rosh Chodesh that he talks about. As you can see, he also, after he, uh, he uh, lists some very interesting dates, for example, on the 25th day of Sivan, that is when Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, Rabbi Shmuel ben Elisha, and Hanan Yaskan Kawanim died. And if you remember, these are the three of the people that we uh, mourn uh, in the beautiful Payut on Tishabav and Yom Kippur, um, the Eilu Eskara, or the Arze Yalavana. Uh, these are the, uh, the script. Now, they didn't all die on the same day, but these three seem, according to this tradition, did die on the same day. And that day was not Tisha before Yom Kippur. 
it was the 25th day, uh, the first day of Av, he mentions Aaron Cohen's death, which is, of course, in the Torah. And it does say in the Torah that Aaron Cohen does die on Rosh Chodesh Av. It does say that. But that we should fast on Aaron's death, uh, that is the first, this seems to be one of the earliest sources for this idea. Included in the list is also a very strange uh, statement that on the seventh of Elul, the spies died. And we know, of course, uh, Chazal tell us what the terrible death was. Uh, it, it's so gruesome. Uh, you know, Rashi quotes it in Chumash, and, 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 and you, I'm sure familiar with it, is the, that they, their tongues were elongated to the point that they formed a terrible crescent in, and entered uh, violently into their navel and um, somehow penetrated there and, and, and caused them to die. Now, what's interesting is, <laughs> is that according to this tradition, uh, they actually died on the seventh of Elul, which was a month almost after they came back. Remember, the spies come back on Tishabov. So it's interesting that that they 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 lasted that long. And and the other question, of course, is that why should we be fasting when they die? Uh, the Beis Yosef asks when he quotes the when this is quoted by the tours, we're gonna see <laughs> that you would think it's a you know it's one thing you're telling me Aro Nakoin's death. I mean that's something we haven't had anyone like Aro. But the spy's death? Why are we fasting? Because the Torah was written in Greek. Of course, this is very famous. It's, it's, it's recounted in the Septuagint, as, in, in, as the source of the Septuagint in the Gemara and Megillah. Uh, and the Gemara and Megillah actually refers to it as a miraculous event that they were able to um, translate it, and all 70 had aligned in their translation. They had to make certain changes, the Gemara says, because Talmi uh, would have misunderstood the true translation. He would have used that to uh, uh, imply negative things about our religion and perhaps turn it against us. Instead, this sanitized version was translated by all of them equally according to uh, the Talmud. Uh, and it actually appears in one of the Sparmachitzonim as well. And here we have mention of this as being a terrible day. In fact, uh, the, what the Bahad mentions here, if you take a look what it says, that ubo choshech la'olam shloshayamim. There was darkness in the world for three days very cryptic statement. And you almost think, okay, for the eighth and the ninth and the 10th, that somehow that darkness was somehow uh, elicited by this translation of the Torah. On the ninth day, this was what we read earlier, the rabbis did not tell us what it was about. But then there's this there's this phrase that appears in all the printed editions of the Bahag. The rabbis didn't say what it was, but it was on that day that Ezra, the great Ezra died, Ezra HaKohen, and of course, his partner, his political partner, Nehemiah, who was so crucial in getting the, uh, the Jewish commonwealth started and building, they both died on that day. Now, if the rabbis didn't write it, is that, is, is the Bahag saying, but I'm going to tell you what the reason is? There is a note in the edition of the Bahag that I have chosen to share with you. The note was written by probably uh, someone who was completely, unfortunately, 
blanked out of history in terms of people knowing who he was uh, because of his incredible son. He had a number of wonderful sons, but none of them shone brighter than Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. His father, Rabbi Zev Lipkin, wrote a commentary on the Bahag that was not printed in his lifetime, but was preserved in the family manuscripts. This is from the edition that was printed from the manuscript that was printed in the, the 1980s in Yerushalayim. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter's father writes, that the idea that the ninth of Tevis is connected to the death of Ezra Nehemiah does not appear in the tour. No, okay. What does that mean? It doesn't appear in the tour. Well, I'm, uh, uh, let me read on and I'll explain. Veneeran appears to me I believe that that additional statement that the ninth was the death of Ezra Nehemiah is not really from the Bahag's original language. This work, unfortunately, the way it comes down to us is not sacrosanct. There have been emendations that have been inserted into this work, and this is one of them. And his proof is the fact that it does not appear in the corollary source in the... If we go to the tour in Simon Tuf Kofpei, after the tour has pretty much um, spoken about the, the fasts that are incumbent upon us, the Tainus Tzibur and other fasts, he then has a simon called Fasts That Everybody Should Fast About, and he says, Kos of Abahag. So the tour decided to take this piece of the Bahag and turn it into a simon in Shulchan Aruch known as Simon 580. So therefore, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter's father has a right to say that here we have Rabbi Yaakov ben Osher writing in the 14th century, quoting the same work. And even though the printed editions that we have say that the ninth of Tavis was for a certain reason, he has the right to say that first of all, it does, if, if there is, if the, if, the, if, if the work said, we don't know what it is, then how can you say one line later what the reason is? It must be that it was probably an interpolation, interpolation that didn't, wasn't in the original work. Um, because if you look in the, in the tour, when the tour comes to the, the days in question, the days of Tevis, he says, and there's nothing here about anything about Ezra and Nehemiah at all. So therefore, it could be that that was something that was discovered later and made its way into the Bahag. But the Bahag himself, perhaps the Gaonim themselves didn't really have that tradition or didn't think the death of Ezra and Nehemiah was a reason for it. There was some sort of hidden reason that what is what we're referring to. Now, of course, the Bahag, when he talks about the 10th of Tevis, which we're going to be going into tomorrow night, that is based on the Psukim that talk about Samach Melech Babel al Yerushalayim Lahachriva. That is when, basically, the, the king of Bovel attacked. And for the first time, it wasn't just an attack that could be staved off. It was an attack on Yerushalayim that meant we were no longer in control of our destiny. True, it happened during Bias Risha. But in many ways, Asur B'Tevis is the very first of the fast days. And in some ways, it heralds all the terrible things that were going to occur even up until today's time. Um, so the 10th of Tevis is in the, is in the Navi itself. The 8th 
is based on a tradition that we have from the Talmud and from other early sources about the translation of the Torah. But somehow the Torah being translated is a terrible thing. Darkness descends. There's a source in the Sefta Sofran that says the translation of the Torah is as bad as the ego itself being constructed. Rabbi Yonason Ibishitz already asks that we know from the very beginning of Sefer Dvarim, the very first psukim say, Be'er Heite, that the Torah was actually translated and that there was a, a tradition that there was a stones that existed right at the uh, entrance into Eretz Yisrael, right over the Jordan River, right over the Yardek. And those stones contained the translation of the Torah in 70 languages. So there already was this idea of the Torah being translated. In fact, it seems to have been part and parcel of the Jews living in Eretz Yisrael was that their Torah would be known and that in some ways the ideas contained in the Torah would have a translation and would have some understanding and wouldn't just be something that would be uh, held close by us. So, you know, to, to intimate that letting the non-Jewish world know about what the, is said in the Torah through translation is somehow a terrible thing seems to be counterintuitive and counter-historical. The anonymous work Kolbo, which we have shown is actually based on um, the Orchos Chaim from Rav Aaron of Lanil. But the Kolbo was an anonymous work that might have been um, that author's first go at it. It might have been a work, again, pretty much copied from the Orchos Chaim with many editions. And it, was, it, it, it attained great circulation. Um, you have section 63 in that work. And here, that section is not connected to Bahag, but it's called Seder Megillas Tainus. Now, Megillas Tainus is the most ancient written work of oral law that we have. It predates the Mishnah. Now, what is Megillus Megillus is a list of days that one cannot fast and cannot engage in eulogies because of various miracles that occurred during the Second Temple era. There needed to be like a calendar in every home. It was in Aramaic, which was the lingua franca of the people. And in that language, it was stated which days should be verboten. One could not engage in a fast. One could not eulogize because one had to remember many of the miracles that, and, 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 and there were plenty of them that were tethered to the era of the Hasmoneans of the Hashmanoyim. Kanak is mentioned in there. Purim is mentioned in there, as well as other holidays and other events of victory against the, the Sadukim and others. And these were days that not only in, in the period of the Second Temple, one couldn't fast on those days, one couldn't fast the day before or the day after in order to solidify how significant these days were. However, the Talmud in a number of places says clearly that Megillus Tainus, the power of not fasting on these days has become batel, has become eliminated. So the work is no longer a, a work that instructs how to follow your calendar, but it's rather a, a unique historical record of what was and of men and names and events that help us piece together the history of the Second Temple era. But according to the majority of Rishonim, doesn't have any more of a halachic bite. The fact that Talmud says the two holidays 
that are still preserved was Hanukkah and Purim, but all the other holidays mentioned in that work are really have been jettisoned. It's nice to know about that. Now, what's interesting is, is that through the years, that work has been expanded. Similar to the Haggadah, Shol Pesach, and many other works, the work that the, we show, the work known as Megillus Tainus, the very first print, had already additions and extensions that were not in the original work. The original work was a very, very skimpy list. But since it was the very, just like the Mishnah accrued the Gemara and, and, and other things, this skimpy work eventually had other, like Brysos attached to it to explain the events. And if one looks at that work, and we do have, uh, we do have manuscript copies of the work, we do have various printed versions of the work, we can see that it is, it is a combination of Aramaic and Hebrew. What's interesting and what we're going to talk about is that the Kolbo had this list of the Bahag as an addition to Megillah's Tainus, meaning that the work wasn't just you know, the Bahag, who was a, a very significant 8th century compendium, but it somehow was connected to this ancient book called Megillus Titus. But it was the opposite. It was days that you had to fast. Now, the Kobo's rendition doesn't have this idea that it's from the Torah, but it does say, he does add this idea that, and, and that seems to be, again, sort of indicating that it might not be from the Torah, but if you do it, this is a key, uh, a, a, a golden ticket into Olam Haba. Let's see what the, the Kobo writes about our three days, eight, nine, and 10 of Thebes. So, first of all, the Kolbo doesn't say which day of Tevis it was. It just says, in Tevis, Nichtava HaTorah Yivonis. Hmm. So we're not sure which day it was. Uh, many people have not made much of this, uh, of this point, whether it's the eighth or not of Tevis. But if, if we go with the Kolbo's reading, it could be we just happen to know what happened during Tevis. We're not sure which day. Perhaps, since Asar B'Tavis is so bad, it makes sense that it was on the 8th of Tavis. B'Tisha Bolo Nichtavu, and here you can see the Kolbo, according to most of the editions, it said Avoseinu, not Rabosenu, but our, our ancestors did not say what it was, but he says, V'Nimtza Hasod. Hmm, we have discovered the secret. Bobio Meis Ezra HaKohen, so, according to the Kolbo, we could say that for some reason the rabbis, the old ancient ones, did not want us to tell us this was Ezra's death day and Nehemiah's death day, but I have discovered what the secret is. Why that's such a great discovery, it's not so clear. And why we should want to hide that. But at least we, have, we don't necessarily have to accept um, what, uh, what Rabbi Shal Salantra's father said. He said that, that really in the original text, which he doesn't take any earlier than the Baha'i, there was nothing about Ezra, there was nothing about Nehemiah. Uh, we could say similarly that the Kolba was saying, yes, that was what it was originally, but in the hundreds of years from the eighth century, to the 13th century, we have now up have now discovered what it is. And though for hundreds of years it was unknown, we now know that it was actually Ezra and Nehemiah's death. On the 10th of Tevis, there is a slicha that is said by that is said by most Ashkenazi Jews. The author of the slicha, we can see, based on indicates 
that the name of this man was Yosef. The reason being is because it's a simple Aleph Bey's poem. You can see the first word is Eskara, I will remember. And you can see here is the Bey's, Bishalosh. The last one, which is tough, the sentences each begin with a letter of a, la of a first name. Yerech Teves Ma'od Lukisibo. The month of Teves, I suffered tremendously. Vinishtanu Alai Sidri Nisivo. It was changed. The usual paths of it were turned and up, upended. That's, that's Vav. Sararti, I went away. Poshati. Now, there's a little dot in the original poem on the letter Samach and the letter Pei. Yigavali Tuvo, please reveal to me his goodness. Haomer Liam, the one who said to the oceans, you can only go up till here, meaning God revealed to me. So from these last phrases, we know that the author's name was Yosef. And you can see the dot on top of the Yud, the dot on top of the Vav. So we know it was Yosef. Which Yosef was it? We're not sure. How long ago did he live? We're not sure. But what we do know is that it, the tradition has come down to us. And we can see the olive base. So whether you're planning on going to Shul or not on Asura Davis, here is Eskarimitzok. Free translation by me. Eskarimitzok Ashir Karani. I'm going to remember the difficulties that occurred to me, meaning I, the Jewish people. There were three bad things that happened in this month. First of all, that's your base. Then you have Gimel. Gidaani. Okay, I was like crushed. I was split in two. Heniani, I was pained. Hikani, I was again smacked around. Achata, but you know what's happened, which even worse than that? Elani, I've also now found myself so confused that I'm moving away in the total opposite direction. So that's Gimel, Gideani, Heniani, Hikani. But there's something even now which might be even worse. Now we get to Dalit. Diachani. Now Diachni is becoming extinguished. Bishmonebo. I was something great was extinguished on the eighth day of Davis. And it was Smolit Viaminit, left and right. Hmm. That's an interesting way to, to describe. In other words, there was something on the eighth day that to the left and the right was extinguishing. Hello, Shloshton. For three of them, Kavati Tainit, three together are all part of a trifecta of fast, eight, nine, and 10. And we start with eight. Umelech Yavon in Sani. There's your Vav. Dalid, hey, hello, vav, umelech, that's always a cheat, you can always get something out of the vav letter, umelech yavon, the king of Greece, Talmi, insani, licht of vadat yavonis, insani from the word anas, he forced me to write dos, to write Torah. Then we have Zion, zoamti, like zam, Zion, I am mem, which is also uh, like like a tragedy, a catastrophe. How was what was catastrophic on the ninth? Bechlima v'chefer was embarrassing. It was embarrassing, terrible embarrassment. What was the terrible embarrassment? Choshach me'alai me'il. It was choshach me'alai. It was removed from me. The me'il, the the long, the long toga like beged. It's not really like a toga, it was like a, a the meal, like the Kohen war, hold with sefer. It was it was a distinguished piece of clothing that was that was ripped away. Toraf, Toraf bo. And what was ripped away from me was Hano Imre Shefer, the one who gave such good words, who Ezra Hasofer. Now, of course, he was a Kohen, although he didn't serve as a Kohen in the base of Mikdash's Kohen Godo, but he was a Kohen Ezra. 
And it seems that the, there was some klima and chayfer, a lot of a, a lot of verbiage here about Ezra's death. No mention of Nehemiah here, but there's something here about Ezra's death that was that was catastrophic. Um, Yom Asiri, on the tenth day, Suva ben Buzi Achosa. This is when Yechezkel was given the command to write in that book what would happen on that tenth day, that there would be uh, an exact prediction of the siege of Yerushalayim that would begin on that day. Um, as the as the poem continues, the dirge continues. It says, "Al Ela Al Panai Ovak Zarisi." Because of these, there's dust and dirt scattered on my face. Patsti, I'm speaking al arbosom. I'm speaking about the four of them. Luchets belibiyarisi. It's almost like a arrow has pierced my heart. Um, four. One's missing. Hmm. So this sort of indicates that even though this piet along with the Kobo and along with the additions of the Bahad that we have, do mention the death of Ezra, and we have other indicators that the death of Nehemiah, there's something else here as well. Um, there is a beautiful commentary on the Siddur of the Otsrat Siddur that was written by Rav Gordon, uh, who, who was eventually made it to Yerushalayim, uh, and it, the, the commentary is called Iyun Tfilah. And he asks, I think, a very fundamental question. It's hard to say that their death is the reason we fast. Where do we find a fast day? Now, again, we've seen the Bahag and what, was, what the Kobo calls the end of Megillus Tainus, mentioning Aaron's death and other people's deaths. But the conventional fast days that we know aren't about the death of a, one person. Harigas Gedalia ben Achikom, yes, Gedalia's death. But why is Gedalia, Gedalia symbolizes something, he says. Because as the Rambam says, the gacheles, the coal that had a little bit of heat in it, that could have perhaps been blown on and revived of the Jewish people's life during that first temple era, was extinguished with Gedalia's death. So his death is bigger than him himself. His death is a symbol. And that's the reason why his death, they felt like the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed again because he was a hope that they had. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah did great things. They helped establish the second base on Mikdash. He says that, and again, he says, what does it mean that there was a great embarrassment? What, what is the, how did the death of Tzadikim somehow indicate something that is, that is uh, terribly embarrassing? Hello, sof kolodim lamos. Everyone dies. That's a fact. Vafil Moshe Rabbeinu over Sholomais. They have to die sometime. So the Epshalomar, it's possible to say. Shigzeras Hatainus, lo hoise bishvil misas Ezra. It wasn't because of Ezra's death. Maybe because Ezra was the last Novi. Forget about Nehemiah right now. Ezra was the last Novi. And we lost something when we lost Nehemiah. Now, he, now uh, Gordon writes, So it's like we were a, a flock without a true shepherd who was given the vision of prophecy. 
Now, I should tell you that um, Rav Kook's Atzal uh, expounds on this, although he doesn't connect it to the ninth of Tevis. He says that with Ezra's death, with the end of Nevoah, there was sparked the beginning of speculative doubting. The re and he actually takes this a step further. He says that at the same time that Ezra died, that Nevoah was no longer an element that could be counted on, and there was no Novi anymore. It was actually concurrent with that was the Anche Knesset Hagdola's request for the Yetzirah of Avodah to be eliminated. Rav Kook sees the two as part of two sides of the same coin. The reason why Avodah stopped was the same reason Rav Kook says that Nevuah stopped. Nevuah stopped because what was missing in the human condition was the ability to believe and therefore perceive and live with a spiritual reality that hovered just beyond us and with a sensation that it was real. The people that were even of Zorah, the ones that built monuments and symbols to stars and planets, they weren't just pagan idiots or storytellers or artisans who loved to see a beautiful image. They were able to construct in their imagination and mind a world beyond this one that they took as real and knew was real. They didn't live totally and completely within the sensory part of this world. But they recognize that there's a world beyond and that our world is dependent upon that. And that yes, a tree could somehow, if it's shaped in a certain path or a star in a certain constellation could indicate powers above that, that were as real as the rocks and stones that were used to build the idols that symbolized them. That belief in a higher power, that belief and knowledge of something that you couldn't touch or sense, but lived with in your mind and heart is what allowed Avodah Zarah to flourish. And, and allowed Avodah Zarah not only to flourish, but to be intense about, to not give up on. And it was that aspect of the human spirit that allowed prophecy to flower. Because you, in order for those messages to be received, you have to be cognizant and believe and recognize that world beyond in order for that portal to be open to you. When you don't have that element within you and it was eliminated because it was so rampant, because it was so wild and untamed, because of what Avodah Zorah did in Bayez Rishon, what it then happened was, it, there, was a, a, there was sort of like a closing and a freezing, uh, a drying up of spirituality that occurred. And what it was replaced with was that skepticism and that empirical demand of everything being able to be proved analytically and properly in, in a concrete manner. So that's something to mourn. Is that perhaps why Ezra's death is so significant? Well, and the Rabbi Seno didn't tell us what it was, because in a way, you know, it's it's sort of perhaps too, it, 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 it strikes a chord, perhaps explanation. Uh, and and for that, I'd like first to 
take us into the uh, the Shulchan Aruch. Rabbi Yaakov, the son of the tour, put together a work that is imperfect. He decided that the 580th simon would be pretty much a carbon copy of what he discovered in the Bahag. Well, Rabbi Yosef Cairo had thrown his lot into the tour's work. He was going to write his commentary on the tour and use that as the basis for halacha, which we now call the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch, of course, is based on the work of the Beis Yosef. But the Beis Yosef was tethered to the tour here, and he couldn't resist this comment. He says, I found them in the Kolbo. The tour quotes the Bahag. I found, so they exist as far as I know in two places. I didn't see, I didn't see any earlier source. And not only that, even though that we say you're a Ben Olam Haba, and it says it's from the Torah, I've been around. I've been in Spain. I've been in Turkey. He made his way in other places in North Africa. I didn't hear anyone fasting on these days. I don't know who decided that these were days of fasting, and I, I wonder about it. How could there even be a reason to fast on Rosh Chodesh? Rosh Chodesh, according to some traditions, is from the Torah. How could you fast on Rosh Chodesh on the first day of Nisa, on the first day of Av? Never heard about it. So you, what does the Beis Yosef do with this when he gets to the Shulchan Aruch? When he gets to the Shulchan Aruch, he says, these days did happen. It's a good thing. The tour quoted it. It's in the Kolbo. The tour quotes the Ba'ad. It's probably a good thing to fast these days. No, some of them occur on Rosh Chodesh. And there's some say, despite it's Rosh Chodesh, you should fast on it. Okay. And then he basically lists the days the same way they're listed in the tour. So despite his misgivings when he wrote the Beis Yosef, when he decided to write his compendium known as the Shulchan Aruch, he didn't say that it's from the Torah. He didn't say, he says, uh, it's a good thing to fast. The Bogan Avram quotes two Rishonim. And they seem to have been uh, working uh, with the same from the same source. He quotes from the Sefer Shibo Yoleket. Um, that from Italy, uh, uh, from the 13th century, that Nishalu Hagonim al Hatainus Eilu. Hmm. Now, the Gonim, were these real Gonim? Were these Gonim previous to the beginning of the 11th century? Or is the word Gonim used loosely by uh, the Shivalyaleket? Perhaps he just means, as when the Meiri sometimes uses the term Gonim, he means uh, an early Risha. However, um, the Mogan Avram says, Ani Raisi, Shuvim Besefer Megillus Tainus. I saw it in that 1610 edition, and there might have been other manuscript editions floating around. I saw these days written there. And we know Megillus Tainus, even that section that's the opposite of Megillus Tainus, the Mogan Avram says, is also has a pedigree from the Talmud. And I found it in the Bahag as well. And the Bahag isn't a chopped liver. 
Everything that's in the Bahad needs to be taken with intense seriousness. Therefore, it isn't just, it's a good thing to fast. The Mughal Abram says, if you're a Baal Nefesh and could do it, you should be fasting, not only on Asara B'tevis, you should be fasting tomorrow. You should be fasting, you should have fasted today if you could. The Mughal Abram then goes to quote the Rabbi Shai Levi Horowitz, the Shla, who lived a little bit before him, and says, the Shla also says, I found these fasts in three different books. I found it in the Bahag, in the Tour, and the Kolbo. These were only the books that were available. And he says, but we know that the texts are a little bit different about which calendar date. So one should pretty much use, uh, go with the go with the one, uh, if there's two out of three, use that, because you, know, you can't fast a bunch of days in a row. So the Shoah also felt, like the Mogan Avram, that these were days one should fast and one should use, do his research, and become a holy Jew. Once again, the Mughan Avram says, hey, <laughs> the Shlaw didn't forgot about the Megillus Tainus. <laughs> Megillus Tainus is the one to use. Editions of the Bahag and that, he says that's the one to go with. Okay. One other Mughan Avram and Taz on the next page. They write, when it comes to our day, which is the ninth, which is tonight and tomorrow. They said, how could they say we don't know what it is? They don't know what it is. What about the payot about Ezra's death? The Taz says, Tzorchi and Rav, how come they, how come in some editions of the tour and the base didn't know what it was? So here comes what we've been waiting for. The first thing is, um, Rabbi Yaakov Emden. Rabbi Yaakov Emden writes that the Mogan Avram did see it in the book called Megillah's Tainus. And we do have that book. That book does exist. We do have such a book. But that book is obviously full of... Rabbi Yaakov Emden writes on that 13th chapter, he says, this chapter is not from the original work. It goes totally contrary to the, what the work is about. Therefore, the Mogan Avram made a mistake. He thought that the, it was from the Chachmei Talmud. So the Rabbi Yaakov Emden, uh, uh, writing the end of the 18th century, says that this was something that represents Gaonic ideas. It's not something that goes back to the time of the Talmud. That's one thing that's, I think, important to note that Megillus Tainus is, even though it, the Mogan Avram says, it's this ancient work. No, it's a work that, once again, has ha, the, the original part of it is about days you're not supposed to fast. The days you're supposed to fast, that was actually downloaded, according to Rabbi Akhavendin, from the, uh, the ninth century writer, the Bahag, and it got into all the editions of Megillus Tainus and made the Mogan Avram believe that these days go stretch all the way back from the Talmud. That's one thing. Now, here comes the kicker. There is a theory that the day that the ninth of Tevis somehow refers to the birth of Jesus. But somehow, based on what the Rishonim already described as December 25th of the year that they construe to be Jesus's birth, that aligns with the day of the 9th of Tavis. This was a theory that went back to at least the latter part of the 18th century. And it might have been even earlier. And uh, many authors have indicated that perhaps that is what the Bahag and wherever this original Megillus Tainus comes from, that there was even from such an early period, this idea that this was Jesus's birthday, what we know as Christmas, and this was a day that was meant to be fasted. But 
Rabbi Senu did not want to tell us what it was because they realized that as the Christian religion would become stronger, the idea that we were fasting on their holiday, in other words, of course, it wasn't December 25th, but it was aligned with what December 25th was and the year of Jesus's birth. So therefore, they kept it a sowed because they wanted whoever it was, the, 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 the Gaonim, wanted this to happen. They wanted Jews to recognize that it goes all together with the translation of the Torah, the idea of Christianity and its eventual spread, and the, the Asari Batavis was this trifecta of being consumed, of being inundated, of being affected, and losing the integrity of our religion. Yes, Ezra's death was special, but perhaps, and this, they say, might answer of course, the, the, the Bahag and others might have known about Ezra's death. But the reason why they said we don't know or they haven't told us is because this was something that if it would be public, would only incur hatred and wrath. And yet, it was understood that people should know that this was the reason. Now, this theory has been bandied about for over 200 years. Uh, and it has been somewhat dismantled by um, Sid Lyman, Schneer Lyman, in a very important article that he wrote. Um, but I share it with you uh, because in many ways it does seem to explain this strange uh, pa passage in the Bahag. Um, and it makes you think, especially as the merriment of, 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 of the season, what our response needs to be, the fast. <laughs> and it's a day that we realize that uh, whatever role Christianity has taken, and some of it has been very positive for the world, it's an, it's an indicator of a role that we have abdicated and a role that perhaps we need to fast and, and recognize of despite the era that we live in today, where there's so much brotherhood and working together, uh, perhaps remembering the translation of the Torah, the darkness that, that it incurs, recognizing perhaps what Christianity has wrought and how despite realizing that God has a plan for, for the world, in terms of what Christianity was meant to do, it's still perhaps if we have that type of spirit and recognize that by fasting, maybe, maybe we could come to rediscover not the, 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 the sort of pagan ideology that is behind much of early Christianity, but rather that spirit of prophecy, that spirit that Rav Cook mourned that was eliminated on the ninth. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.